You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. When I was younger, one of the highlights of my year was spending a few weeks at the summer camp where I started going as a seven-year-old. I went all the way until I was an adult serving as the associate director. It was a few weeks in the wilderness and giving up that time serving on staff was one of the hardest transitions I had to make when I became a full-time pastor. Those summers and the weeks spent in the wilderness allowed me to be close to nature, swimming in a lake, hiking in the woods, and even roasting marshmallows over a fire. It was a place filled with fun, laughter, friendships, and spiritual connections to God, as well as my community of faith that gathered at that camp. In contrast, this morning, the scripture that Pastor John just read for us talks about a wilderness And we should not be picturing s'mores around a campfire. Instead, the wilderness of scripture is a wild and dangerous place where you don't really want to find yourself for an extended period of time. The wilderness would not have had picnic tables and bathrooms along the trail. It would be dry and barren, filled with dangerous animals on the prowl, the desert, A place where there is not enough water, not enough food, not enough protection from the wind and sun and blowing sand. Not enough. You would not choose to spend 40 days and 40 nights in this type of wilderness. Yet the author of the Gospel of Luke tells us, Jesus returned from the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Last week, Pastor John preached on the scripture text in Luke 3, where Jesus was baptized by his cousin John. And in that moment, Jesus was declared to be the beloved son of God. This week, our text follows that story, and we see that immediately following his baptism, the spirit of God led Jesus into this environment of extreme scarcity that we know as the wilderness. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell versions of this story. The Gospel of Mark is notoriously brief. It tells this story in just two verses. The accounts in Matthew and Luke are much longer in comparison, and they're very similar, although they do differ a little in how they order the second and third temptations. But in all versions... Jesus is tempted. Luke tells us that he was tempted by, quote, the devil, without telling us anything else about who that is supposed to be. I mention that because scripture doesn't have a consistent understanding of a being that we would call a devil. The meaning of the story doesn't hinge on exactly whether we picture a devil with horns and a pitchfork, like we might from the cartoons, or if this is a symbol 
of the voices within and outside of us that tempt us to act in ways that are counter to our true nature as God's children. Luke describes three temptations during Jesus's time in the wilderness. Throughout that time, Jesus doesn't eat anything, and the devil tempts him to satisfy his hunger pangs by changing stones into bread. He's tempted then with unimaginable political power, if only he'll commit idolatry. He's also tempted to test God's care for him by throwing himself off the pinnacle of the temple, the symbol of the sacred traditions of the past. But even though the context of those three temptations seems so different, if we look closely, we will see that there is really only one temptation happening in three different ways. Jesus Christ, fresh from his baptism, emerging from the water, knowing that he is the son of God, enters the wilderness, and then he hears this voice challenging him by saying, since you are God's son, and then tempting him to prove it in a specific way. Underneath all three temptations is the challenge that Jesus was told by God at his baptism, quote, you are my son whom I dearly love. Does Jesus trust that God's proclamation is enough? Or does Jesus have to do something magical or dramatic or even dangerous to prove that he is worthy of the title of God's son? Would anyone, including himself, believe that he was God's son if he lived an ordinary human life filled with sacrificial love and fidelity to God? Or could Jesus remember that he is God's beloved son because that was simply what God declared at his baptism? Could Jesus remember his true self even in this wilderness? Could Jesus let go of what other people thought he was supposed to be or even who he thought he was supposed to be and embrace who he really was? Could Jesus, the one who is both fully human and fully divine, rest assured in his identity as beloved, as the son of God, without having to prove it by demonstrating his power? For some people, the idea of having a sense of identity apart from what we do, apart from what we accomplish, apart from what we create, this idea seems totally alien. I feel it might be a little pronounced in the D.C. metro area because so often the first question people ask upon meeting a new person is some variation of the question, so what do you do or who do you work for? The pursuit of accomplishments and accolades drives so many people that they have a hard time separating their sense of identity apart from what they produce or accomplish. And for some, 
They might even have a fear of simply being ordinary. Dr. Brene Brown writes about the increasing incidence of what popular culture refers to as narcissism. People who are self-absorbed and lack empathy and compassion. Dr. Brown says that her research reveals this trend is rooted in the shame-based fear of being ordinary. She says this grows out of a deeper issue pervading our culture, quote, the never enough problem, which she calls scarcity. Think for a minute. If you had to fill in this blank that you are never blank enough, what would you fill it in with? Never rich enough, never smart enough, never thin enough. It's not the devil that seeks to steal our identity. Each day we are besieged by countless advertisements that seek to create in us a sense of insecurity and inadequacy, undermining our God-given gift of identity. These advertisements do that with the promise that even though we are lacking now, if we simply buy this car or use that product, that will make us acceptable. The message of consumer consumption culture is simple. You are not enough. Not skinny enough, smart enough, pretty enough, not strong enough, rich enough, or anything to deserve respect, love, and acceptance just as you are. Those ads seem to be especially prevalent at this time of year as people make their resolution to finally this year become that thing this year. Those ads that claim if we just use that weight loss program or make our teeth straighter, then we will be acceptable. This creates a pervasive sense of scarcity, and this threatens our authentic self as God's beloved child. Scarcity, that's the real wilderness, isn't it? Not enough. That is what Jesus faced in the wilderness. Not enough food, not enough water, not enough companionship, for he was alone. And that's where he meets the voice that says, he is not enough. The tempter is crafty. He prefaced his temptations with the words, since you are God's son, a subtle way of casting doubt on if Jesus really is the son of God. The tempter is trying to shame Jesus into acting in a way that is not consistent with his true identity as God's beloved son. The tempter pushes Jesus to be the Messiah that everyone expects him to be instead of the Messiah that Jesus sent, the fully human and fully divine being who loves the world. This is our challenge too. When the voices around us and within us tell us that we should be some expectation of who we should be, instead of being the beloved child of God that God made us to be. This is the challenge that we face whenever we find ourselves in a wilderness of scarcity. We too are beloved children of God simply because God declares us to be. 
But how often do we hear those temptations to prove ourselves worthy of God's love? Henry Nouwen wrote, over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence, end quote. Brennan Manning put it this way, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the truth self. Every other identity is illusion, end quote. When we claim our identity as a beloved child of God, it helps us stand firm in the face of all sorts of temptation. When we are in the wilderness that we don't want to be, whether that's loneliness, isolation, whether it's being worn out with worry, whether we're experiencing the true scarcity of food or money, or whether we feel unseen or overwhelmed, whatever wilderness we find ourselves in, remember that we are not alone. We are there with Christ who stood in the wilderness first. And even when that subtle voice in our ear suggests, if you are a son of God, if you are a daughter of God, if you are a child of God, if you are, Jesus already spoke the answer. You are. You don't need to prove it. You are God's beloved child because God has declared it to be so. Thanks be to God. Amen.